Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. I'm going to start a series today, and I'm glad that you're here for the beginning of it. We're launching into examining joy and how to find joy. And I want you to know this is on our schedule because of a pastoral sense that I have that we need to hear about joy now. That perhaps your life may be different, but I get a sense that many of us, we're wrestling with how to find joy in our world. And if data is to be believed, the Gallup poll, which they poll every year for the last seven years, they polled happiness indexes. And they, they poll people all around the globe and in the most recent, the 2019 report, there was a chapter of this report. It's a, it's a long company report, but there's a chapter report that says the sad state of happiness in the United States. The sad state of happiness. Let me share with you some of their findings. The years since 2010 have not been good ones for happiness and well-being among Americans. Even as the United States economy improved after the end of the Great Recession in 2009, happiness among adults did not rebound to the higher levels of the 1990s, continuing a slow decline ongoing at least since the year 2000. You understand? For 19 years, they've noticed a decline. Talks about adolescence. In addition, numerous indicators of low psychological well-being, such as depression, suicidal ideation, self-harm increased sharply among adolescents since 2010. Depression and self-harm also increased over the same time period, especially among girls and young women. And so they sum up with this statement. This decline in happiness and mental health seems paradoxical. By most accounts, Americans should be happier now than ever. The violent crime rate is low, as is unemployment rate. Income per capita has steadily grown over the last few decades. This is the paradox. As the standard of living improves, so should happiness, but it has not. Now, when we start talking about things like happiness, I know what triggers in each of us, and this is legitimate. Because your thought is, Scott, I'm not worried about what everybody else is. If you knew my story, what I'm dealing with either right now or I've been dealing with for a long time, then you would understand why it's so hard and so difficult to find happiness in this world. Or perhaps you're in a place in life where you look at your life and you go, this is not what I intended. This is not where I thought I would end up. I, I, I'm in a situation. I, I'm in an environment. I'm in a relationship. Whatever it is, I'm in something where this is not what I thought. Or perhaps you're wrestling with a chronic disease. Or perhaps chronic pain. And that's beginning to define your everyday existence, and you wonder, how, how in the world am I supposed to find happiness in that? Well, that's why I want us to look at this, because there is a way not to happiness, but to joy. And over the next several weeks, I want to make a case for joy. 
And I want to invite you to go along. And even if at the end of this message, if we don't have all your questions answered or you're not totally convinced, that's okay. I want to invite you to come back because we're going to dive deep on this. And we're going to look at how you can have joy because I believe joy is not simply positive thinking. This joy that's real is a choice that you can make and because your happiness is always going to be based on your happenings, your situation around you. But your joy can be a choice and it's the choice that you make on where to locate your joy, where to find the source of your joy. Again, not simply put on a bright smiley face and go for it, but there is a source of joy And I believe that it's going to be found only in Jesus. You're going to hear me say this throughout the series. Joy is not simply a place or a posture, but joy is a person. And it's found in the person of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to let me make that case over the next several weeks and see if there's not a blessing here in your life, in whatever you face, And what I want you to understand is I'm not trying to diminish at all the deep struggle that you may find yourself in. But what I do believe is that you've got a resource as a follower of Jesus that perhaps you have not fully accessed yet, that you've not fully grabbed a hold of to see here's where joy can come from regardless of the circumstance. And here's another fact. There is no promise that your circumstance is going to change by the end of the series. But your joy can be different. So I want to start with kind of a a metric, if we could. Because I want us to actually go somewhere with this. I want us to actually have a measuring stick. So if you've got your Bible or you're using one of the scripture journals, and I really want to encourage you to use those scripture journals and follow along with this, because I think you're going to find this resource Great. I want you to find a page or a blank spot there. And on a scale of 1 to 10, right now, right now, 1 being you are in some dark depth. That you are, you are, it's all a fog, it's all painful, there's no joy. To 10, you're living a very joyful life. Joy comes easy, it's natural to you. I want you to rate your joy. You don't have to show this to anybody. You don't don't have to show this to me. We're not going to turn this in. But I want you to at least reflect for a moment on where you start as we go into this. Because I believe for all of us, as Jesus moves into our lives more deeply, we'll find some joy. So here's my thesis statement. My thesis statement is this. Jesus' followers ought to be the most joyous people in the world. Jesus' followers ought to be the most joyous people in the world. Now, let me tell you what I don't want that statement to do. I am not hoping that statement causes guilt in you. That if for some reason you're wrestling with something and you're not joyous, I don't want that statement to be more critical, to be more shaming, to be more guilt-laden on you. I want that statement to be hopeful, meaning... Not ought to as in shame on you, you should have. But ought to as there's an opportunity you have. That again, that perhaps you haven't accessed yet. 
And regardless, once again, of your circumstance. Because we're going to listen to the words of one whose circumstance was far from perfect. We're going to read a letter from a man that you've probably heard of, the Apostle Paul. But what you need to understand as we go through this letter, this letter to the church in Philippi, that's why we call it Philippians. This letter, he's not sitting beside the pool writing this letter. He's not in the lap of luxury writing this letter. He's in jail. He's been imprisoned because he's preached the name of Jesus. And yet in this letter, he's going to find reasons to and encourage us to be joyful. So I've got, I'm going to have a couple challenges for you today. One, as we go through this letter or as you read it on your own time, as you do it in your quiet time, I want you to circle every time he references joy or rejoicing. And I want you to circle every time he references Jesus. So if you would, look with me in the very, very first part. Here's how he, here's how he begins this letter. Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and this is his introduction, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See what he's doing? He, he is beginning this letter already, and he wants you to be thinking about Jesus. You're going to find out there's 104 verses in Philippians. He references Jesus 51 times in 104 verses. Paul is obsessed with Jesus. So it's not my words that Jesus is the person of joy. It's going to be Paul. And Paul is going to go again and again and again. Call us back to Jesus and back to Jesus and back to Jesus. And remember, he writes these words perhaps chained Perhaps, perhaps restricted in ways that we would find very difficult to handle. And yet what Paul knows is his hands and his legs can be chained, but his joy cannot be chained because Jesus can't be chained. And so Paul's going to give us a mindset. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to lay out sort of the the foundational part of this series. And I'm going to invite you back each week. We're going to be unpacking it more. But if you, I'm going to make a sweep through Philippians today. And so you're going to to take some notes on where the scriptures are coming from. But I'm going to give you a mindset that Paul understands. Because again, he is obsessed with Jesus. And what he wants you to understand is when you are fascinated by Jesus, joy naturally comes. Joy can be had in your life when your obsession and your focus is on Jesus. And so here's, here's how it gets there. Mindset number one or focus number one is this. G, for Paul, Jesus is my purpose. Jesus is my purpose. Philippians 1, 12 through 13 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this is his being chained up. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, do you get what he's saying? Paul became a missionary. Paul gave it all up to go around and plant churches and, and build communities of faith for Jesus and preach the word. And that got him thrown in jail. And what he did is he shipped off to Rome and he's imprisoned in Rome. And Paul doesn't think that he's imprisoned because he keeps preaching the gospel. And what it says is to the whole imperial guard. That's Caesar's soldiers. Paul is, is continuing to preach. And so he says the whole guard is hearing about this. Because his purpose is not his happiness. Paul's purpose is not his comfort. Paul's purpose is not his own success. Paul's purpose is the advancement of the gospel. And I want to encourage you in whatever you face that there's a possibility for God to step in and use that for the advancement of the gospel. I, I have worked with so many of you, even in this church, that has taken a very difficult situation. And through that pain and through that struggle, you still found a way to advance the good news of Jesus. And you were able to witness in a certain way. And you're able to share and encourage others in a certain way. Several weeks ago in our Crucify Him series, we talked about the idea of you may have an unfair burden that you have to carry, but God can use an unfair burden for his purposes. And you have no idea what he could do with that. So for Paul, even though he's chained up, his joy is still found not in his confinement, but in the advancement of the gospel. Focus number two, mindset number two. Paul would say, Jesus is my pattern. Jesus is my model. If he's my mission, he's also my model. Philippians chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You already heard Evan speak about humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And not being the center of your own universe. Because that just comes so natural, right? I mean, when we have our infants, we don't have to teach our, our kids the word mine. Have you noticed that? It's just very natural to go, that's mine. And everything in the world, we start thinking it all revolves around us. And what Paul is saying is, when I set Christ as my model, Christ as my pattern, that model becomes very clear. He poured himself out for others. He did not set at the very center of his own existence and say, it's all about me, but I'm going to 
serve. You may be familiar with the movie several years ago named Patch Adams. Patch Adams talks about this doctor who went on to, came to medical school late, uh, late later in life, and a non-traditional student, and developed a whole form of medicine in which laughter was used and community engagement was used. And this pouring yourself out for others was used for healing purposes. What you may not know about Patch Adams' name, his nickname was, is that, that going into medical school, he wrestled with great depression. And it was that effort to begin to think about others and put others first that began to alter his story and change his outlook. Paul would tell us, Jesus is my purpose. He would say, Jesus is my pattern. And then he would say the next focus would be, Jesus is my prize. I would ask you the question, what are you running for? What, 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 what gets you to run that next step? So most of us, we don't know what we're running for. Yesterday, Scott Siegel and I, we, we ran in. We didn't actually compete. I almost said the word compete, but that would be too big of a lie to say competed. Uh, in a half marathon trail race. I knew what I was running for. It was a McAllister sweet tea at the end of that race. But so often we don't know what we're running for. And so we chase all these illusions. We we chase success in this definition. Or it's got to look like this. Or it's got to look like this. And then when you get on Facebook, you get a dozen different definitions of what success could look like for you. And you see it in your friends or your high school friends or something, and you're with this, I wish my life looked more like that or that or that or that. And we don't know what the prize is. Well, here's what Paul's going to say about the prize. Paul's going to tell us this, he flip, uh, Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. You, you understand what he's, he set his sights on? He says, I've set my sights on this prize and it can't be taken away from me. Understand, this is the words of a man who spends his day chained to a Roman centurion. Perhaps in a very uncomfortable, maybe even painful position. And Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, can't take his joy away because his prize is not defined by anything else other than Jesus. So Paul has locked his sights in. He says, that's what I'm running for. That's going to be my definition of success. 
That's going to be what it looks like to me. And there's no other image that can even begin to compete with that. There's nobody else that can even begin to change that. So Paul says with a laser focus, and he didn't even know what lasers were. The laser focus, I'm going to look. And I'm going to say, Jesus is the prize. And that's going to be my guiding star. That's going to be the one I line everything up with. And as long as Jesus is in clear focus for Paul, everything else moves out of the way. And then the last, Paul says this. Jesus is my provision. Jesus is the one that's going to provide. Because again, I'm not simply saying that your situation, your experience, whatever it is that has you suffering, whatever is robbing your joy right now, I I, I do not take that lightly. Please understand. But I do know that we serve one that in the midst of whatever you think there's a gap between here's what I thought was going to was going to be my life here's what I thought was going to happen but I'm down here somewhere and there's a gap and that's robbed my joy Paul's going to come and say Jesus is going to fill that Jesus is the one that can minister to you in that gap and here's what he says for this last one will be in chapter 4 part of the reason that Paul wrote Philippians is he's he's sending a thank you letter in many ways it's a thank you letter because this church at Philippi, they took up an offering. They took up some, a donation. They've sent it to him to provide him some comfort, some resources during this imprisonment. And so he writes back with this thank you. And here's how he answers them. I rejoice the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Watch what he says. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, before we go on, this is where you got to lean in. You got to go, I I would like to know that secret. How do you get there, Paul? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me tell you what this verse is not saying. Years ago when I was growing up, there was a group that went around called the Power Team. And they were these huge guys. I mean, bigger than me. It's hard to imagine. And they had these muscles and and they would rip phone books in half and bend steel bars and bend aluminum bats around their head and break wooden bats over their knees and it was they were called the power team and they would do all this and then they would quote I can do all things through him who gives me strength Paul's not writing this verse to tell you that if you'll just believe in Jesus you're going to be able to break bats over your knee or you're going to be able to slam dunk a basketball or you're going to be able to do whatever it is you want to do because Christ is just going to show up and power that What Paul is saying is, I'm in prison, and yet Christ is sufficient for me. I'm in a difficult situation, and yet 
Christ is sufficient for me. I'm in a struggling relationship, and yet Christ is sufficient for me. I've got children that I raised in the Lord, and yet now I can't find them in a church anywhere. Christ is sufficient for me. I had hopes of a certain career, and those have been dashed, but Christ is sufficient for me. What Paul knows is that Christ is going to step in and not be everything you ever wanted, but can be all you ever needed. And Paul would tell you that when Jesus is your passion and your purpose and your pattern and your prize and your provision. There's joy there. And that's what we're going to be uncovering and discovering throughout this study. So I, I, I want to plead with you to come back and I want to ask you to do something. Be praying about somebody to invite to this. Because we're all encountering others that their joy is being robbed as well. And together we can learn and be blessed by what a man in prison knows. And he's going to tell us, even in that, you can rejoice. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I realize that these words may seem hollow. And I pray for the person that's hearing this message, either present in this room or listening to it online. And their joy's been robbed their joy has been taken because of something they face. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the eyes of Paul to see and to lock in on Jesus. Father, I would ask that even this week, as we begin to wrestle with this truth, that in some tangible ways, you would remind whoever is struggling that you're present, that you're there, and that you're still at work, and that joy can be found in spite of the circumstance. Father, help us to find our joy in Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.